Chapter Ten, Part Two of the Pathway of the Pioneer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pathway of the Pioneer by Dolph Willard. Chapter Ten, Part Two. Hilda was the only one of her friends who was coming to the breaking up party, and Beatrice looked forward with an eager, impersonal pride to the music master's first view of her. Beatrice possessed the impulse of the born giver who loves to fling all beautiful and goodly things at the feet of the beloved when she cared for people she had a most impersonal desire to give them pleasure whether through her own instrumentality or not and as the sight of hilda's face was pure joy to her she would fain share it with the music-master no shadow of disaster was upon her as she met her friend in the perspiring throng of incoming guests and raised her face with a little nestling movement to hilda's cool smooth cheek how nice you look hilda said cordially and the tone ratified beatrice's confidence in herself my dear that white frilliness is most becoming i thought i was nice till i saw you said beatrice without flattery looking up at the grave greek profile and the rich colours in hilda's hair and skin no one ever comes quite up to you apollo i am so glad you have come i want to introduce you she looked across the throng of fat parents and thin parents of overdressed pupils and fagged-looking teachers to a corner where she had already caught sight of a shorn fair head and an immaculate white collar the music-master was sometimes careless in appearance but he was never dowdy to-day he was irreproachable and a little overpowering so that beatrice remembering last night had allowed her shyness to overtake her again and had not yet spoken to him as she looked the elation which was keeping her at the fever point of excitement faded a little and for the first time that day she felt tired he was talking to a friend of his own a lady who was not very young but whose appearance stamped her as of a very different grade to the other guests she was indeed a private and intimate acquaintance of the music-master's who was present on his account as much as hilda's on beatrice and her quiet well-cut gown and rather quizzical expression gave beatrice a sudden feeling of being outside the pale she had recognized that the music-master was by no means the usual type of teacher in a school of this class but she had not also realized that the women of his world were also a type that had as little affinity with her as with the school her expression hardly altered as she looked at the couple across the room it simply went out of her eyes altogether and left them blank she knew from the set of his shoulders though his back was towards her that the music-master was in a black temper and it was as evident that the lady was rallying him beatrice turned rather suddenly to hilda not now she said another time come into the refreshment room and have some tea hilda followed as if nothing had happened but the greek mask rarely betrayed any emotion unless a storm of anger coloured it more fiercely an experience of her own that was even now altering her life had quickened her understanding to a point which seems like some spiritual communication between women beatrice's gift was emphatically the social gift above and beyond those artistic qualities which made life a fine torture to her rather than otherwise even in such an assembly as the school breaking up her instinct made her a charming personality 
which stood out against the drab efforts of other mistresses and the gaucherie of the guests there is always pleasure in doing a thing well and being at one's best and though the material was so poor she would have got some little enjoyment which her sense of humour would have helped upon another occasion merely through talking with the parents of her pupils but the music-master had somehow contrived to throw his shadow upon her even across the room and though she was still instinctively the born hostess she made her little success with a pin-prick at the heart she had hoped dimly that he would have sought her that last night's attraction would have been strong enough to draw him through the prudence of daylight but the afternoon wore away without their speaking or coming in contact and he remained by the side of his unknown friend obviously ill-tempered and out of humour with himself and the world if he doesn't like being with her why does he stay it can't be very pleasant for her if he is in one of his moods thought beatrice innocently she was standing near the couple at last though they did not see her a friendly curtain partially hiding her white figure and the face that had lost its joy and began to look weary she had avoided him rather than otherwise up till now for her pride was a thorny hedge round her but the rooms were growing empty and she had drifted into his neighbourhood unconsciously until she was near enough to hear what he and his companion were saying what a dreadful life the lady remarked her glance half amazed and half amused taking in the exact class of pupils and parents the surroundings must be impossible i wonder you have stood it for so long i am not going to stand it any longer said the music-master savagely beatrice recognized his tone as the one that followed many false notes i will get out of this next term if i have to break stones by the roadside not so bad as that i hope said the lady with a tolerant smile what has made you so desperate oh i've played the fool what can you expect in such surroundings they are impossible as you say i was driven into the nearest diversion at hand i must say i was not the only one who was willing to amuse myself but there is nothing to do now but bolt for it unless i want a millstone round my neck for life beatrice put a trembling hand up to her lips with a childish idea that she should find them burnt and seared last night's kisses seemed to scorch them so she had not thought of this there had been no definite end to the delirium of her happiness the coarseness of the man's point of view stung and lashed her like a whip she had turned to the love for which she yearned as simply as a flower to the sun and her very incapacity to have any further designs such as being a millstone round a man's neck for instance as an undesirable wife had blinded her to such a conception the blow hit her as straight and true as if he had planted it between the wounded brown eyes she held her breath for an instant as she drew herself back slowly stealthily out of reach of their discovery and turning slipped through the rooms to hilda's side are you tired would you like to go now she said abruptly hilda turned as if to a stranger perhaps she did not at the moment recognize the usually musical tone in which beatrice was voiced for her but having turned she drooped her grave face a little in a way that was peculiar to her bending to beatrice from the neck but not stooping 
and so looked at the white mask presented to her in profile. I thought you wanted to introduce me to someone, she said quietly. Oh, I am sorry. I am afraid I can't. I can leave now, if you don't mind coming. I shall be glad. Do I say good-bye to anyone? Only to the headmistress. I must speak to her myself. Please follow me. The words came as if ground out of some small creature in deadly pain. But Hilda asked no questions. That present experience of hers was teaching her an intuition she could never otherwise have gained. Some women learn to help each other, always through pain. Hilda stalked beside Beatrice in silence when they had left the school, her taller frame swinging along to the younger girl's quick walk, a much quicker walk than Beatrice's usual one. Once Hilda made a passing remark about Nuzotra, and Beatrice answered with sudden savage rudeness. She turned upon her friend with flaming eyes and spoke with curt sarcasm, as though the subject had long been a grievance to her. Yet all she had been asked was whether she had heard when the next meeting was to be. The pain is getting beyond her power to bear, thought Hilda. What shall I do? At Beatrice's door she paused, trying to decide what was best to do. In Beatrice's place she would have been better left alone. It would have been the only thing for her. But Hilda was seven times stronger than Beatrice, and a lonelier spirit. She judged by herself, and held out her hand to say good-bye. I must be getting home. Good-bye, old girl. Come round and tell me the result of tomorrow's trial, she said. Yes, good-bye. Beatrice still spoke as if the sentences came with a wrench. Then suddenly she put her hands up to her shadowy eyes. Oh, my head, my head, she exclaimed, pressing her fingers to her temples, as Magda did. No, it's nothing, only a headache. Leave me alone, I shall get better. Hilda turned away as the door closed after her, respecting her solitude. Beatrice stumbled up to her rooms, the same rooms she had dressed and dreamed in not twelve hours since. They looked strange to her, and she wished with a shudder that Hilda had forced herself in and stayed for a little while, talking. I should have been rude to her if she had suggested it, she owned to herself in the same breath, with a panic of fear of her own lack of control. It is a law among Nuzotra that they shall not be rude to each other, hardly even in jest, and if any one breaks it she is tacitly set outside the pale until she knows her own enormity. Beatrice did well to be frightened, for even the excuses due to ill health or extreme trouble were not extended beyond a certain point. She sat down in the ugly little sitting-room that had suddenly become a dreadful place. Last night the hard black leather that upholstered it had not mattered, and somebody had sat in the armchair who had seemed a friend at least, her shamed lips said a lover as they burned with remembered velvet touches and who was suddenly an enemy i have played the fool i was driven into the nearest diversion at hand there is nothing to do but bolt for it unless i want a millstone hung round my neck for life she could still hear the cruel clean-shaven lips and their soft discontented drawl while her eyes stared at the empty armchair as if the head of Medusa hung there. It was all so ugly, so sordid. She herself was so cheapened, and last night she had thought it a beautiful and radiant thing, as sweet as sweet carnations, as warm as the touch of living lips and the clasp of masculine arms. 
there succeeded another sleepless night which she did not remember much towards morning she fell into an exhausted unconsciousness for she had gone to bed supperless too sick to eat and the insufficient food and excitement of the past twenty-four hours were treading heavily upon the wear and tear of the term when she woke next morning the glass showed her a haggard face with unnatural dark eyes and drawn lips and she laughed at it hideously after all it is not much to attract a man he had more to offer she said to the grim reflection i must say i was not the only one who was willing to amuse myself that is what he thinks of me well she turned from the glass and began to prepare listlessly for going out the trial of voices was to come off at the theatre that morning and she must go though her body seemed to ache for lack of rest and with the mental trouble she would not look in the glass again before leaving the house lest it should discourage her but after swallowing a cup of tea and some bread and butter she made her way out into the steamy july morning there was little ozone in the parched streets but beatrice who loved the free sky over her head lifted her face instinctively to the open air and revived a little she walked most of the way through a mechanical economy forgetting that she should save herself for the coming effort and like all highly nervous and sensitive people her mind declined to be detached from the feverish trouble that was consuming her but with refined self-torture dwelt on each string afresh the music-master's face danced before her tired eyes with its contempt and impatience of his surroundings of which she had become the greatest drawback if he had only known that she was going to leave if she could only convey to him without making the admission pointed her hurt pride writhed as she thought of his own haste to resign his post to get out of the embarrassment of her presence he was afraid he should find himself forced to marry her poor beatrice and she had loved him she got down from the omnibus where she had taken refuge for her tired limbs at charing cross and began to thread her way in and out the crowd in the strand she was beginning to feel faint and speculated as to whether it would not be wise to go into a chemist's and ask for a dose of sal volatile a remedy known to her in overwrought hysterical attacks then a second idea occurred to her why not buy the means of escape even though she had no cause to use them the very possession of such an infallible remedy would give her a sort of confidence to face life afresh if she could say i need not go on with it she knew she would go on with it but in any case the impulse to destroy herself was but half-hearted beatrice as the music-master had said had her own instinctive pose though she was her only audience in this case she was acting to herself and by some curious process of mind it was a consolation to her to see herself so desperate that she was actually buying poison to hold in reserve if she found existence unendurable she was a little afraid of herself as she entered the first chemist's for she had never asked for such a thing as a drug before but her own composed manner reassured her and as she only wanted a small quantity the man did not seem suspicious a little further she turned into a side street and did the same thing then once more in the larger thoroughfare 
and with the three small files hidden in her breast beatrice was satisfied it was a clumsy way of making preparation certainly but it answered its object for it created beatrice desired effect she was by no means amongst the first girls to arrive at the stage door of the sovereignty theatre but the manager who was to hear them sing had not yet arrived beatrice found herself amongst a dozen other aspirants who were standing in the little lobby and the dark passage and grumbling at being kept on their feet for hours before they sang there being nowhere to sit the place was hot and stuffy and the various scents used by the girls were overpowering they themselves were of a class that alma knew well but which was new to beatrice used to the severe neatness of governesses and unaccustomed to the cheap finery of the stage most of the faces around were pretty but with a prettiness that hurt one at a near view for the truly effective stage face must be exaggerated to be successful on the other side of the footlights they were smartly dressed on the whole in an overdose of the prevailing fashion but the edges of their gowns were mostly soiled and frayed and they were by no means particular as to the details of their appearance nevertheless their chatter distracted and amused beatrice and for the first half-hour she forgot to be tired in listening to the language of this new world in which she might find herself i've been here since ten two whole hours wasted and i'm dotty with tire said a voice next to her with a strong cockney accent beatrice shuddered to think what the singing voice must be like old sam is cruel to keep us like this cruel hullo daisy dear old girl how are you i haven't seen you since the mermaid and the man went out are they on the road still kitty yes but i left i couldn't stand fit up it doesn't pay a bit it's a frost they're doing fearful business who's trying us to-day moritz yes old sammy he's a beast he's a giddy goat too he got vera lardy the voices sank to an ecstatic whisper and beatrice received no more hints on the character of the gentleman who was shortly to decide her fate she could not see the speakers but a girl with a handsome jewish type of face immediately in front of her spoke next and loudly i say porter are we never going in we've been here for the last week yes and you'll be here for another until mr moritz comes said the doorkeeper roughly who's that trying to pass through come back miss please there's no going on till i tells you the girl who had been venturing too far into the bowels of the pitch-dark theatre was herded back grumbling and the increasing crowd began to quote a time-honoured phrase in pantomime more particularly when it happens to be cinderella there always comes a point in this classic production when the two ugly sisters want to go up the grand staircase to the ballroom and the powdered footmen stop them on account of their unusual appearance as they are invariably taken by men in low-necked gowns there appears some reason for the footman's objection the girls saw a similarity between their own position and that of the ugly sisters which tickled them into hilarity pa says that we're to go up quoted some one and it was taken up across the lobby and passed down the passage pa says that we're to go up 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 and then to the tune of the campbells are coming 
Up, pup, 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 ad libitum, while the doorkeeper fumed and snorted impotently for silence. Beatrice laughed in spite of sore feet, for the waiting tried her more than walking, though she began to be conscious also of that false economy of hers in saving the omnibus fare, and looked round her as to the new comrades of a new life. It promised to be even less refined than the second-rate schools to which she had grown drearily accustomed, but in her reckless unhappiness she felt she did not much care. It was life and movement anyway common vulgar vitality in preference to the stagnation and narrowness that had driven her nearly mad besides there was a certain comradeship amongst these girls a give-and-take a good-natured rough sympathy that softened their more glaring defects for beatrice she did not realize how much she was counting on sharing their novel experience or how she had taken it for granted that providence would be merciful and fling open the door for her escape once she found life insupportable under its present conditions that there is usually no escape from life and that the grim prison walls will be the same yesterday and to-day and forever with not even a choice of a worse exchange is a very final knowledge and seems nearly inconceivable to the young at last a stir amongst the foremost girls showed that something was happening in the theatre there was a forward pressure a babble of voices someone being moved on but beatrice hardly heard in detail she had a general impression of such intense tire as sapped brain-power and nerve-power alike she was physically sick and a band of pain crushed her head just above the brows but she still thought that she could sing the girls were moving on now in twos and threes so that she was herself at last in the passage and from the unknown beyond the sound of a piano lost in space came wandering up in snapped lines of songs that she knew to the notes of more or less unequal voices lay by my side your bunch of purple heather every morn i bring thee violets where's the music that is half so sweet tararan ta ta tararan ta ta tararan ta 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 then the bar seemed invariably and abruptly broken off how little they were allowed to display of their powers yet even now she did not calculate the immense competition implied by that crowd of girls or the rough lines on which successful candidates were chosen only the coarser and very powerful voices could stand the strain of the long wait without food or rest those girls who sang with any delicacy or a better timbre of voice found that their notes cracked and were briefly dismissed in a way the management was correct for such voices as would not stand wear and tear were of no value in chorus and the sifting of the girls by means of the physical strain to which they were put was useful in showing who was fitted for the work when we are married oh what will you do i'll be as sweet as i can be for you i will be tender and i will be true when i am married sweetheart to you ah there was a better trial evidently this girl was more to the judge's taste as she was allowed to sing through to the end of the verse there seemed a longer pause than usual after she ceased 
and then Beatrice found herself moving on with two or three others, until she emerged suddenly on to the bare boards of the stage, the sudden light of two or three flaring gas-jets making her blink like a young owl after the dark passage. There was a piano standing down by the unlit footlights, and a lean man with flat hair and no chin to speak of was sitting there listlessly, as if weary of hearing the victims ticked off and of playing a bar or so of accompaniment for them. The manager himself, that beast Sammy, was a fat and greasy person whose face made Beatrice shrink a little. It was not that he was obtrusively dangerous. The loose, sensual mouth was not very visible under the ragged moustache, but he was so wickedly unclean, both physically and mentally, that it was impossible to forget this characteristic for a moment. She came forward into the glare of gaslight with a sudden sense of inappropriateness, and the manager looked up sharply and stared as if he felt it also. Amongst the overdressed, bare-necked young women with their faces made up to at least a semblance of prettiness, Beatrice's slim dark figure looked like a ghost from another world. It had not occurred to her to wear anything unlike her usual quiet clothes, or to alter her hair or her hat, though had Alma accompanied her she would have seen that her personal appearance should not at least tell against her. As it was, her dark clothes seemed like a blot against the silks and muslins whose soils did not betray themselves in the theatre and for the rest her appearance had the ghastly effect of her tire and the troublous events of the last few days a colourless face wedged in a vast weight of hair that was nothing but dusty shadow and two eyes a great deal too big for the face it was no wonder that the manager stared he seemed indeed so doubtful of her right to be there at all that beatrice mechanically held out the cards sent her by the agents to whom alma had introduced her and which requested her to be at the sovereignty theatre at twelve thirty to have her voice tried it was by the way just three hours later than the time specified all right said the manager curtly have you brought a song beatrice opened the rolled music in her hand but still without speaking her silence added to her uncanny appearance but sudden nervousness had taken her speaking voice away and though still quite sure she could sing, a panic possessed her lest she should not remember the words of her song. It was a May morning, which News Ultra had unanimously advised as showing her pure, true notes in the upper range of her voice. But her brain teased her instead with scraps of Flair's verses, so that her hands trembled as she gave the crumpled music to the indifferent accompanist and watched him roll it out with fascinated eyes his majesty's ship the london was first of the fighting line ten ships of war where the fast nets are and thirty feet in the brine and his majesty's ship the london spoke out to the other nine all the while the verse jigged in her head the accompanist was playing the introduction and beatrice was searching her brain for the right words literally searching for his majesty's ship the london drove everything else triumphantly before it his majesty's ship the london was first of the fighting line suddenly she heard the accompanist half pause hang on the bar and realized that he was waiting for her 
Beatrice caught her breath, raised her head mechanically, and began to sing in a husky flat tone, Come out, come out, my dearest dear, come out and greet the sun. Her voice cracked and she stopped blankly, even before the manager's monotonous, That will do, thank you. He had said the same to fifteen girls already, who were weeded out by tire and strain. Beatrice turned away in the same mechanical fashion, but as she did so the realization of what this meant struck her with sudden vivid consciousness like a physical blow. Her need for escape seemed to her desperate, and this fat man with the greasy skin was denying it to her with others to whom it meant no more than a passing disappointment. As if driven by her own necessity, she stopped her crushed music in her hot hands, and faced him again like a creature at bay. Would you tell me? She began with stiff, dry lips that she had to moisten before she could even go on. Is my voice of any use on the stage? Should I ever get taken on? There was pleading in her heart, but it was her tragic fate that she could not give way to her own emotions at the moment she wished. A long training in self-repression had resulted not in self-control, but in the mere habit of disguising all emotion. Had she had real command of herself, she would have been able to convey some hint of what she was feeling in the crises of her life. As it was, she merely seemed hard and matter-of-fact, perhaps a little self-assertive to the manager. No, he returned, with off-hand brutality. No chance at all, I should say. You may be able to sing at home, pretty little drawing-room voice, no doubt, but you are no good to me. I want power and some training. It's mere waste of time hearing voices like yours. Next, please. Beatrice walked quietly off the stage and back into the passage again. She intended to pass through the lobby and out into the street, but someone had at last persuaded the porter to put one or two chairs for the weary applicants and one of these was empty at the moment. Beatrice sat down in it almost without intention on her own part. She did not feel faint, and she was not in the least hungry, though at one time during the standing she had felt that she would drop for want of food. But it seemed suddenly that all power of volition left her. She sat down quietly, unobserved by the girls who were still crowding and chattering, and waited. She realized at last what this meant to her. A closed door shut on her frantic wish to escape, not only now, but forever. For she accepted the manager's fiat as final, and had no spirit at the moment to fight against it. No doubt the lack of food and tire, and the reaction from excitement and worry, a dozen physical reasons indeed, were benumbing her mind but for the moment she was incapable of rising against her troubles, and her recuperative power had gone. All she knew was that there was no escape for her. She must go back to the dead level of the life that had grown intolerable by reason of the music master. She looked on into the future and saw a procession of ink-stained tables, underbred boys and girls, herself at the head of them, growing older and less desirable first youth and its possibilities leaving her, and then health, and then the desire of life, until she was pronounced too old for work, and drifted shabbily along to the workhouse, unless some charitable institution staved it off sufficiently for her to drag out her existence. 
in one pinched room in a cheap neighbourhood the last was the best that she could hope unless she were so unspeakably lucky as to die with the blood still beating warmly in her veins with youth and its stormy pains and pleasures making the world coloured instead of drab sometimes you see the half-bred hunter looks forward to the knacker's day as better than the cab sores and the heartbreak it was twelve when beatrice entered the stage door at the sovereignty it was just on four when she left it she walked blindly down the strand keeping her feet mechanically and crossed trafalgar square drifting along pall mall and making by instinct for waterloo place and piccadilly somewhere west she knew that there were open spaces and green grass where one might lie down and dream of sleep she turned her face as a thirsty animal will towards water to the stretches of the parks and scented the trees and the quiet earth the foot-passengers along piccadilly hardly saw her gliding by a delirious personality fever-struck with life and only going towards the healing of the open spaces by the same instinct as the sick animal as she dragged her feet along the railings of the green park looking for an entrance her breath threatened to fail her and she laid her hand on her breast to still the heart that fluttered there like an imprisoned bird beating its wings then her slight groping hands chanced on the little files thrust under the loose folds of her blouse for safety and she remembered here was the escape purchased by herself without real intention at the moment but now become a merciful chance of release she linked her small hands carelessly before her dropping them from her breast with the cunning of the maniac who fears to betray a hiding-place and sauntering in at the open gateway made her way out of the beaten track and stepping over the low rail crossed the grass it swept her ankles cool and soft and she walked slowly and more slowly partly for the childish pleasure in feeling it partly to find the green resting-place where she might sleep twice she turned to avoid the curious looks of passers-by and finally she sat down at the foot of a wide-branched tree and resting her back against the trunk listened to the drone of the traffic in piccadilly it swept on and on monotonously carrying with it the lives of such as herself men and women who started hopefully meaning to make a good fight of it but gradually wore down their hopes in the struggle and were still borne on on the impulse of the tide of life without will or wish of their own it was drifting past her now drifting past she at least had found a green bed where she might sleep she had taken up her position so that the broad trees stood between her and the gravelled walk but there was no undergrowth to screen her nothing but the deep rise and fall of the grass slopes and the elms stretching out wide branches at clear intervals and though it merely looked as if she had sat down to rest on the grass in preference to one of the hard hot seats on the gravel still it behooved her to be careful she opened the little files and drank the contents cautiously when no one was passing by the sickly taste of the drugs was hard to swallow but that was all the difficulty it seemed an easy thing to accomplish her escape after all i have sent in my resignation said beatrice 
looking half curiously round her at the world that throbbed with life and light and sound we are not competent to undertake such a responsible post as god seems to assign us news ultra had beatrice been older she might have weathered the storm and drifted into the apathetic acceptance of pain which kept flare caldecott alive but flare's experiences of a like nature disappointment discouragement weariness despair had been a succession of tragedies that followed each other singly through her youth and with which she fought without hope in turn beatrice perhaps mercifully came all at once and overwhelmed her with one short unbearable period she sat quietly on the green grass and listened beyond the park railings was the mighty incessant hum the swing of london going by and going by while one of its victims dropped out of the struggle and fell asleep yet there was nothing to tell of a tragedy a long grassy reach fretted with dusty sunshine and the shadows of the burnt trees a girl resting in the shade with her head leaning against the bark of an old elm and her dark eyes looking blankly out into the steamy evening they were blank because beatrice was not feeling at all just then she was content to be there out of pain she had no desire to struggle for life against the drowsiness creeping over her for the fear of realizing it all again and waking to that awful vivid horror kept her very still she almost held her breath as though it were a material thing that might be roused out of the lethargy into which it had fallen a policeman passed her and looked with faint disapproval at the slight girlish figure sitting on the grass she had taken off her hat and the abundance of her dark hair and her shadowy eyes were apparent to him even at the distance of his patrol on the gravel he did not approve of young women with such faces reclining on the grass they were inevitably suggestive to the delicacy of a masculine mind and the morals of the people cannot be too tenderly handled nevertheless as she was respectably dressed he let her be had her skirts been ragged his duty would probably have pricked him into a gruff demand as to her business there a space of turf is too luxurious a bed for the end of a tramping life but during the summer the tendency of the public to sit on the grass has somewhat legitimized it provided that they look quite as fitted to occupy the seats besides which beatrice youth led his thoughts in a different direction he passed on and left her about sunset she died she had fallen into a dreamless sleep long since and the only alteration was the ceasing of the faint breath through her parted lips her pale face took a firmer mould and slowly set itself of all the responsible agents who had had a part in the making or marring of that sad little life i doubt if one would have dared to have said a word of reproof then had they been brought face to face with her marble fairness but beatrice's parents and guardians were as far removed from her in death as in life farther even than the music-master or the theatrical manager who had brusquely crushed her last hope the lithe flesh and blood from which she had escaped lay there on the grass alone a quiet denial of joy to herself or any human creature in the world no covetous eye could soil her delicate roundness any more 
no man desired that little straight soft body her failure was nothing to a world which only considers such things of importance as pertaining to a possible after-success london drifted by beyond the park moaning to itself under the trees one of nuzotra had done her best to solve the increasing problem of what should be done with superfluous women three days afterwards flair caldicott and hilda romaine identified the body and made the necessary arrangements for its burial beatrice's salary for the quarter just covered the funeral expenses and flair handed it over to the officials then she went home and was very sick flair's nerves never answered to the required strain that was put upon them hilda did not play well on that evening either and the conductor of the ladies catgut band seized the opportunity to vent his wrath upon her it was seldom that his personal and private grudge against her of not appreciating his admiration had such a chance and he felt much better for the reprimand he delivered in the face of the whole orchestra the eyes with which she listened to his upbraiding were as dim as fading violets beatrice's chair was not set in the usual corner when nuzotra met frank shifted her seat a little that way and the space was filled as well as possible unless b a came down and swelled the decreasing number the discussions lost a note of poetry and the harmony wanted the silver string of its sweetest voice providence like other governments sometimes seems to make mistakes and binds too heavy a burden upon individual members of the community under such circumstances the only honest course for those who feel that they cannot meet the responsibility thrust upon them appears to be to resign beatrice varley had sent in her resignation End of chapter ten